1: What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with The Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael Pina of SB Nation. Michael, we have a lot to get to today, including a really fascinating piece that you put up today on Bam Adebayo, an aspiring first-time All-Star, and I do think we should look around the league and see which other first-time All-Stars might be able to kind of get into that Chicago uh, mid-season showcase that's coming up in the not-too-distant future, and, and voting will be opening soon. But before we do that, we had a showcase game on Wednesday up in Toronto. The Raptors welcomed back Kawhi Leonard for the first time. It was ring night. They gave him his ring as gaudy and audacious as you might expect it to be. Apparently, he had it sized and fitted for his middle finger so that, you know, symbolically he can... uh, tell everybody what they can do with themselves. Um, And the Clippers went in there and just took the game. I mean, it was a blowout, a big second half run, kind of put it away. Everybody was relaxed and, uh, you know, kind of chilling uh, down the stretch of that game. So I'm curious, um, there was a lot of buildup, massive media presence there in Toronto. Um, Was it a letdown of a game for you, Michael? Did it kind of play to expectations? What did that game tell you about Kawhi Leonard, about the Clippers, or about the Raptors?
2: Yeah. I mean, I thought it would be a a teensy-weensy bit more competitive, probably. Uh, You know, that the Raptors did not have Fred VanVleet, and he's been one of their best players this season, so I think that hurt them a little. Uh, But yeah, I thought it was kind of a showcase, as you said, for the Clippers, Kawhi and PG. They haven't had a ton of time together on the floor so far this season. Uh, You know, they're two superstars. They're two of the 10 best players in the world win healthy. And, you know, last night we we saw a lot of situations where they were playing off of each other in ways that not a lot of duos can do in the league. So just real quick, there was one example that really stood out to me that was pretty subtle, but, you know, Paul George had the ball at the top of the key and Kawhi Leonard was flanking him on the right. And now, typically, you know, uh, uh, the Kawhi's man, if Kawhi was not Kawhi, would be really in a help position, uh, you know, near the elbow, not, not allowing Paul George to drive to the basket. Uh, because it was Kawhi, this player was about you know, he was, he should have been closer to Kawhi. He was not, he was in a normal health position. So PG just threw Kawhi the ball. Kawhi put it on the floor. This poor defender, I think it was Norm Powell off the top of my head, tried to close out, drew a foul. It was, it's just like the subtle things that these guys do. They have superstar gravity. They're incredible. They're barely on the cusp of, I mean, they, they they barely figured out anything about one another so far. And, uh, you know, I think that they have so much more to improve upon and we've already seen them be terrific together
1: right I think the one thing that they do know about themselves though is that they're really good I mean there's a lot of swagger with this Clippers group you know what I mean and I actually kind of thought this game I mean pardon the phrase I think it was like a swag off right like you have the Raptors going in there trying to show what a great organization they are but also you know trying to show how they've moved on uh, from Kawhi Leonard and, uh, you know, chuckling with him before the game and all these hugs and, and dabs and everything. And then you've got the Clippers who are like, all right, well, we're the new kids on the block. We want to show you uh, what we're capable of doing. And then they got scoring from basically everybody. That's been the story for the Clippers. I mean, that, that four-headed monster, like they like to call it, you know, throwing in Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, all those guys are kind of contributing in different ways uh, in that game. And, you know, their overall talent kind of won out. But you mentioned Fred Van Vliet off the top you do not want to go to a swag off without Fred Van Vliet. I think that's a major takeaway from this game, right? Because uh, to me, Toronto looked kind of a little bit like a shell of themselves, even though Lowry was out there and even though Pascal played okay. Um, I just thought that, you know, in that showcase moment, maybe they weren't quite ready for it. They looked a little bit more like a cute story team than they looked like an aspiring contender who could somehow crash the party and upset uh, Milwaukee, if that makes sense. Now, from the Clippers' side... I do think it's important here. I'm seeing a little trend. You know, they say like three data points is a trend, right? We have Mm -hmm. opening night uh, where they take down uh, the Lakers head-to-head against LeBron in a very impressive win uh, without Paul George. We have the showdown between Paul George and Russell Westbrook, you know, former teammates in Los Angeles, where they double-team hard late in the game. They have this frantic comeback. They use their coma lineup, like I called it. You know, not quite the death lineup. Uh, and then they force Westbrook to to chuck a three and brick it. They win that showcase game. And then now they stomp Toronto. What about the Celtics? Okay, all right. Come on, pumped up brakes here a little bit. You're not in the uh, the top tier showdown conversation <laughs> quite yet, if you're the Boston Celtics. But they did win that one too. I mean, it was close. Um, you know, the, the one game that they didn't win, of course, was uh, or, or really the two against Milwaukee. One of them, Kawhi Leonard, uh, you know, wasn't on the court. The other one, they just didn't show up in Milwaukee. So it's not like they're spotless in these big moments. But I do see a little bit of a trend here where they're able to raise their game maybe to a level that is better than their record indicates, if that makes sense. And their record is good. But the way they've played in a couple of these games, they look great.
2: Yeah, I Nineteen and seven. I mean, they're twelve and three since Paul George came back, which is pretty significant. I just go back to load management, <clears throat> the fact that Kawhi Leonard doesn't really take the regular season too seriously. So why should I analyzing the team? Uh but I look at this team, uh the offense is tenth in the league. Uh it's the 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 coma line not lineup, as you mentioned, has struggled offensively, but only played 35 minutes. Uh, so I just see a lot of potential here and a lot of growth and the ceiling on the different lineups that they can play. I mean, last night we saw you, you mentioned uh, you know Kyle Lowry dapping uh, Kawhi up pregame, and then it's like Kawhi Leonard's guarding him, and Lowry goes one for eight, and they can throw they can throw Mo Harkless <laughs> on Pascal. Have PG just kind of being his free safety self, roaming around, wreaking havoc, and having Kawhi lock down the heart and soul of the team. And it's just the the defense on this of this Clippers team. Like what I want to see is for them to get somehow Andre Iguodala, and then everyone can just ask Andre Iguodala if the Clippers defense is better than the Warriors defense, like in every single road game. That's that's like what I'm really banking on
1: and hoping happens. Well, you know, Michael, this is holiday party season. I'm sure people are going to be going to a lot of holiday parties here over the next week or two. If you really want to win the basketball argument at your, your holiday party or the conversation, you want to impress everybody else, do exactly what Michael did and bring up Mo Harkless. Everyone's going to be raving about, oh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And you can just pipe it and say, and they have Mo Harkless too. Wow. Isn't that just unfair versatility and length? Uh, but it's also true. It's a, it's a great point that you're making. I'm curious, you mentioned how Kawhi doesn't really care about the regular season. Are we seeing a tortoise and a hare thing develop here between the Lakers and the Clippers? Like, if you're the Clippers, is the Lakers going for, like, 70 wins and going all out and, like, trying to, uh, you know, just smoke teams night after night and taking the regular season really seriously? Is that falling into your hands? Like, is that what you want to see the Lakers doing?
2: Uh, Maybe. I mean, the Lakers have had a pretty... Well, actually, they've. I was about to say that the Lakers have had a, a, a soft schedule, but they've actually, like pummeled the tough teams here in december so i can't really even say that anymore um maybe i mean i think that i think both these teams are just on a collision course right now for the western conference finals or at least i, I hope that that's what happens um you know once you know what's really funny about the clippers is like doc river still plays even even in games where Kawhi and pg are healthy and in the starting lineup He's still there's still segments of the game where neither guy is on the court, which I, I think is really interesting. And, you know, there are lineups where the Lakers don't have AD and LeBron on the court, but I just don't think it's necessarily the same thing. Um, and yeah, so I, I both teams are, are, are really impressive uh, on both ends so far. And we're going to see Hopefully in the playoffs, hopefully down the stretch of the regular season, even situations where their coaching staffs are trying to you know, increase the chemistry and play these guys more and more together. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see. And it just kind of speaks to what more they have to do uh, or what more they have to show, uh, I think, on both sides of the ball.
1: Yeah, it's just a really interesting contrast where you've got the Lakers, we would say the chemistry between Anthony Davis and LeBron is basically a 10 out of 10, right? And as you mentioned with Paul George and Kawhi, they're not there yet. Uh, now on the rest side or the, the load management and minutes side, we could probably say, okay, well, the Clippers are, are taking this at like a nine or a 10 in terms of their caution level and, and, and developing it slowly, whereas the Lakers just don't seem to care about it at all. So it's two different approaches, just something to track here. Throughout the regular season, you know, if there's any bumps and bruises that kind of accumulate, but, you know, really, we're going to want to, you know, isolate on these variables if they do meet in the playoffs, who's fresher, uh, who looks like they've played together longer, you know, who's able to kind of anticipate each other's movements among those superstar duos. Uh, I think it's just something to uh, to keep an eye on. All right, one last super crucial, important uh, question to ask you, Michael, about the whole ring night thing is getting the ring sized for your middle finger actually a cool thing to do? uh, Or was that kind of lame from Kawhi? I I need your verdict. Uh, (laughs) Well, when you are... Because he said said they have a little graphic on the inside of it, right? It's sort of like the emoji flipping finger off. So... Clearly, he's trying to send a message to the haters. Maybe I don't know. how You know, who is I'm even not sure exactly who the haters? Uh, yeah, are. Yeah, who's
2: even hating Kawhi Leonard? I don't really know what he's talking about. Well, there. I mean, I, nobody. I definitely,
1: I definitely was last year, and I kind of am with this question right now. I can't lie. Um, <laughs> but is it is it cool or not? I think it's cool because he already has a ring. Or already, doesn't he have two rings? Does he have two rings or one ring? This is his second ring. Yep. Okay. If his 2014 ring was sized for his ring finger and then now he's sizing the second one for his middle finger he can then you know pose with the two rings side by side in a new balance ad together (laughs) i guess is where we're going right yeah uh i think
2: it's fine i'm I'm cool with it i i still don't really understand the purpose because uh you know beyond wanting to wear them both at the same time on the same hand i guess, but. yeah, I don't really know who would have any beef with Kawhi leaving and doing and wanting to go home. And I think, you know, winning the title and hitting the shots that he hit in the playoffs and the fact, the fact that the Raptors fans were there, like, no one was booing. I guess that speaks to how polite they are. But also, like, what, I just don't, who's criticizing him? Who's doubting him? Like, I, this, this this trend with superstar players thinking that the world is against them is pretty comical.
1: Well, you had to go there with the polite talk because I just want to point out, look, I haven't forgotten what happened when Kevin Durant got injured up there in Toronto, okay? Mm. I tried my best to give the Raptors fans in the building a pass at that moment because, look, they had never been in that situation before. There is a natural human instinct when, you know, things go your way and someone's going away on a breakaway dunk that, you know, you're going to get excited about it, but... Uh, I thought the Raptors players were very polite in that moment after Katie got injured. But look, it's very easy to look polite on TV when you have months to prepare for Kawhi Leonard's return. It's a lot more difficult to stay polite when the you know the tensions are high in that finals environment, and they were not polite to Kevin Durant when that happened. So I haven't forgotten, and I'm not giving fair. them polite credit whatsoever <laughs> on the Kawhi Leonard thing. Here's the th- I think if I was doing the rings, Michael, I think I would have done... One for my right hand ring finger. The second one would be for my left hand ring finger because I would want to wear them together and sort of do like the juvenile dance, you know, the rapper juvenile where he used to kind of have like his two hands as a fist and then just kind of like bringing his hands up and down in front of him together. Um, I think I would want to have throw those bows. Yeah, yeah. I would want to. Yeah, exactly. I'd want to throw the bows um, with balance. I would want to have, you know, a big ring on each hand. I wouldn't want to be too overloaded one direction. Um, But there is that famous picture of Michael Jordan, remember, with all six of his rings. I think he put them onto one hand, right? And so we know Kawhi loves Mike. So maybe this is like his homage to Mike, right? It's like he's going to be collecting his rings here all on his giant fingers, and he could take a similar picture uh, and not post it on Instagram or or wherever else because he doesn't have those accounts. All right, enough about Kawhi Leonard. Let's hop to, I would you know, safe to, safely call him one of the big breakout players of this early season. That's Miami Heat forward, center, guard, wing, uh, whatever else you want to call him, uh, Bam Adebayo. And Michael, you wrote a piece on him uh, that published on Thursday. I encourage everyone to check it out. Um, there's a lot of themes going on in that piece, but I think the major one is the one that I kind of just hinted at, which is the positional versatility and the skill versatility. And you opened with a scene where Eric Spolster is essentially telling Bam, hey, it's, it's your job to guard Russell Westbrook tonight. Um, and, uh, you know, Westbrook got his numbers, but, you know, you kind of explored how did this work for Miami? Why would they go to it? And sort of what does it even mean for him uh, as he kind of goes forward into his career? Um, you know, tell us why you chose uh, that particular moment uh kind of highlight bam and then just give me like you know a solid two minutes of bam gushing because i feel like you maybe have a half an hour of it in you sure yeah thanks ben um
2: so i sat down with bam for a good while and i mean to before i interviewed him i watched you know a ton of tape i watched a ton of heat games and, and one right before i interviewed him was against the houston rockets and i noticed from the jump it was their second game against the Rockets that against the uh, Rockets that season, this season. And in the first game, you know, he's guarding PJ Tucker. He's he's hanging out in the corner, usually helping off PJ, but doing things that normal uh, big men defenders have to do when they play uh, the Rockets. And then in the second encounter, you know, he's like up in Russell Westbrook from the opening tip, and I was like, what What is happening here? So one of the first things that I I decided to talk to him about was uh, was that game and like what the hell happened like what how did you find out you were guarding Westbrook have you ever defended anyone like that before what did the heat tell you uh, in preparation did they give you any reason or rationale for why you were going to defend one of the most bloodthirsty uh, attack dogs in NBA history who's a point guard uh, and you're you know this 6'9 6'10 uh, guy who entered the league, 250, 250 pounds, guy who entered the league is basically like, you know, I compare him to Clint Capella. He could have been a Clint Capella, could have been a, a rim runner, um, a screen and roll guy, someone who's strictly basically doing, st- strictly doing what we all wanted Dwight Howard to do for most of his career, that type of big man role, which is what a lot of guys get, get kind of boxed into and Bam is basically like bursting out of that box and this is the Miami Heat allowing him to do that and we we talk a lot about uh guys who can switch 1 through 5 and when you really break it down there aren't a lot like that's that's very hyperbolic in my opinion i don't think there's a lot of guys who can actually switch well, uh, well yeah one through it's an new-
1: it's an imprecise term, right? Because, okay, if you do switch onto a point guard and you can kind of contain them and give them a little space and not get burned going to the basket or at least get up a good contest, that's like a mark of a good center because there's some fives who get switched onto ones and it's like, okay, you're immediately going to fall over and you're about to be on, uh, you know, ankle breaking mixtapes and you're going to get made look terrible or Harden's going to pull up and get himself a wide open three pointer and you're not, you know, you're going to be stumbling around unable to contest, right? So it's like if, I feel like when most people say he could switch one to five, it's like a base level of competence on that. But what you're really saying is this guy could switch basically on any player and just guard that guy for stretches of the game.
2: Right. It's basically who can switch one through five without embarrassing themselves is, is how I kind of put it. It's like Draymond Green can switch one through five and hold his own for eight seconds in a possession with just about anyone that's that's his skill and his ability and bam it's like he he wasn't they weren't asking him to like switch whenever uh switch onto Westbrook they were just putting him on him telling him to you know fight under screens stick with this guy keep him from getting to the basket keep him you know in the half court prevent him from attacking in transition it's like well, the ask was extraordinary by Spolstra, and as you said, you know, Westbrook finished with like 27, 8, and 9 or something, like a pretty good game, and the Heat ended up losing by 9 points, I believe, but if you just watch the film, like Bam did a, a phenomenal job. He kept, he kept he bottled Westbrook up. Westbrook usually drives about 18 times a game, In that game, uh, it was 9 or 10, I believe, Uh, It was just, you know, he forced the long two pull-ups that you want out of Westbrook. And Westbrook would size him up, think about trying to drive by, realize he couldn't, and pull up. And a lot of them just happened to go in. And that's kind of the percentages and what you do as an NBA defender. There's no stopping. Uh, As Bam said, you know, he wasn't expecting to shut Russell Westbrook down. No one is going to erase him from a basketball game, but you want to make it as difficult as possible. And he did a tremendous job.
1: What was interesting to me about this is... Going back a couple of weeks when we were discussing the doubles that Harden was getting, and I think I basically said you can't live or die on Westbrook being the outlet release valve shooter, right? You have to either uh, find other different ways to use him, or almost treat him like a big on offense. And I think what we actually saw from Houston in the in you know some of their adjustments was basically Westbrook kind of flashing towards you know the free throw line, taking the pass there, and then using it basically attacking from there, right? Just like a couple dribbles into the defense. Now he can set up some drive and kick things. It was almost like Draymond-esque, you know, kind of facilitating from the high post or almost like a a big man uh, would, uh, you know, act as, uh, you know, a pick and roll uh, release valve, even though there was actually no screen being set. So it's a fascinating Mm -hmm. situation that Miami on the flip side here is saying, okay, uh, you know, if Westbrook's got some skills now that even though he's a point guard, like he could be u- being used at certain times because he's a non-shooter like a big, we could just use a big on Westbrook and he's, you know, nimble and agile enough uh, to handle it, uh, even though he's, you know, significantly taller and probably not quite as uh, nimble as a guy like Westbrook is. I think what we're seeing from both sides of this, and this is just kind of a coincidental pairing, but there are two good examples of it. Are we getting to a situation where like modern basketball is defined less by height, you know, strict positions and more by skill sets? Like what are you able to do? Um, what can, uh, you know, you do against basically any opponent? Uh, how are you contributing efficiently on offense and, and who are you able to guard defensively? Like, I think that if you, if you have situations where a center is guarding a point guard uh, for stretches of a game, it's indicative of something that we could be seeing a lot more here going forward, where you're getting cross matchups based on physical uh, attributes like height or maybe weight, but they're not actually cross matchups when it's based on skill set. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think I forget when Dwayne Casey said this, but he basically said your position in today's NBA is who you can defend. And I thought that really summed it up really well. And if you look at Bam, he can guard everyone. So I don't I don't know what his position is and I, the Miami Heat when they look at him they do not see a position. They see this humongous fast guy who turns courts into turns can turn a basketball court into his own personal bouncy castle, which is just a, a, a terrific metaphor that I'm surprised my uh, editors allowed me to keep in my story if you
1: want to continue to read it. So that's what he could do defensively. Now offensively, you got into uh, the expansion of his playmaking you did make the compelling comparison and also basically saying look this guy can dunk and you know the the putback stuff and and lop the reds. he you know he's that type of offensive player but he's trying to expand outside of that what's his ceiling do you think on offense because you know even a guy like draymond green had trouble getting the the star reputation there for quite a while because he wasn't scoring in high volume like do you Think Bam will be subjected to maybe some of those same slights as he go, uh, goes forward here in his development, or are we going to be talking about this guy in, in the not too distant future as a legit star? Period. And everyone's going to agree about yeah,
2: it. What's so interesting about Bam is that when I first decided to write about him, it was you know it was a few weeks ago, and so I'm going back through uh, earlier this season. I'm going back to games from from late last season when he was inserted into the starting lineup. And it's like, from week to week almost, you see different aspects of his game get implemented into uh, an actual 48 minute basketball game where it's like, okay, he's clearly working on these things in practice and he suddenly has enough confidence to, to put them on display. And it goes back to, you know, when he was growing up and from AAU to high school to college, it was just kind of a situational thing where he had guard skills that he thought could develop into something special for years. And, you know, his coaches, it's not really fair to say his coaches were holding him back per se, but what the teams needed out of him were not you know, him to be traffic copying from the high post and, you know, racking up all these assists. Like they needed him to score. They needed him to rebound. They needed him to do big man things. And right now, just because of how the Miami Heat are structured and how the Miami Heat are built and how they are, you know, they're impervious to outside thought, I think. I think they're one of the more creative organizations in the league. They don't care what anyone thinks about them. And so they're just letting Bam go, and it's it's awesome to see, and I think on a almost a game-by-game basis, you'll see something new out of him, uh, whether it be him creating his own shot, putting it on the deck. He had a crossover dribble past Grant Williams against the Celtics that I put in my story that was, it was like, where did this come from? Like, you don't see, even in watching, I don't want to continue to compare him to Draymond, but in, when you watch Draymond, you know what you're really getting out of Draymond, like when you watch Bam, you have no idea what's going to happen, and he's like infinitely more athletic than Draymond ever will be. So I have no idea what his ceiling is. Eric Spolstra told me that his ceiling, they, you know, they try not to put a ceiling on him. They don't want to do anything like that because, you know, that just cheats him and it cheats them. And he's, you know, I think he's going to be an all-star. I I, I think that you look across the Eastern Conference there's only one center in my opinion who I would without a doubt take over Bam Adebayo if I was starting a basketball team right now and that's Joel Embiid. So I think the the future is just it's ridiculous for him. I think he can be a perennial all-star. I think he can win defensive player of the year. I think I like I don't I don't know what the ceiling is on this guy.
1: Does he, did anybody ever comp him to AD? like, you know, without maybe the offensive polish and the, and the shooting touch uh, quite the same way, but no, I... the rest of the skills, did, did anybody you talk to bring that one up? Because as you're describing what you know he could become, a lot of what I see is what I've hoped for Jaron Jackson Jr., you know, and, and I call him Jaron uh, as if, you know, we're family members <laughs> because uh, I'm, I still remain invested in his ability to develop into a big time mm-hmm. player. But a lot of the blueprint that you're describing for bam is stuff that i want to see from jaron and or we've seen in flashes from jaron and he always gets comp to ad yeah
2: no for sure no one actually brought ad's name up in comparisons when i would you know ask for i would ask that question to a lot of people and goran dragic is the only guy who's actually said draymond everyone else said i don't i can't think of any
1: player who is like bam so no one actually specific yeah yeah that's a such an annoying trend. Nobody wants to do the comps. I anymore. love the comps. Everyone's afraid to put the comps. We need to do the comps as media members. But I'm saying like when you interview people, everyone's like, oh yeah, he's a one of a kind. He's unique, you know. Uh, he's a unicorn. I've never seen anything <laughs> like it. Just go ahead and say who he reminds you of. It's not that big of a deal. It's not like you're labeling him forever. Um, it's tricky because Anthony Davis is such a polished mm-hmm. scorer and has such a nice shooting touch and always did that, you know, for a, a player who kind of came up with this reputation as an energy guy, they do feel like they're in two different categories. But if you're looking at the defensive impact, the length, the vertical explosiveness, which you're describing, which is definitely superior to Draymond's, um, you're looking at, you know, some of the playmaking. I mean, Anthony Davis certainly tries to do that. Uh, You know, Bam does need to refine that. You know, some of the turnovers... uh, he he borders on overly ambitious pretty regularly. Um, so I do think he needs to scale some of that back. Uh, but even the ball handling stuff, which he wants to get into every once in a while, uh, is kind of Anthony Davis-esque. It's another trend I think we're going to see here going forward. And I've mentioned it before, you know, fours and fives are going to be allowed to do the kind of stuff that only Demarcus Cousins did a couple of years ago, right? Where it used to be crazy when he would take off on these jaunts, you know, grab the defensive rebound and go. And it's like everyone's just kind of holding on for dear life as he weaves through traffic and maybe it's it's probably going to end in a charge, but you just don't know exactly how. Um, I think we're going to be seeing more and more of that as we go forward, uh, you know, in the next five to ten years of the NBA of just big guys, you know, being totally empowered to do that stuff. And we're seeing it from Anthony Davis and Towns and uh, and Bam as well. Um, so his emergence is a very big deal because for Miami, they were kind of stuck without franchise guys last year, right? It's like, what do they do after Dwayne Wade? They get Jimmy Butler, so he's kind of in place. Bam is rising to an all-star level. You made a pretty compelling case that he could get onto this year's team just because there aren't a ton of bigs in the Eastern mm-hmm. Conference um, out, outside of the projected starters. I mean, I think a guy like Demonis Sabonis has a chance to be an All-Star 2 this year just because there aren't that many front-court players behind Giannis Pascal and Joel Embiid. Uh,
0: you decided it was time to upgrade your outdoor deck, so you got all the essentials to do it. You ordered a power washer, a set of patio chairs, and a shiny new grill. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping and up to 5.25% as a preferred rewards member, which you put towards your most essential deck addition, a bird feeder. Apply for yours at bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation.
1: So what does this mean for Miami and for Pat Riley from a team building perspective? Like if you were in their seat, are you... Interested in trying to be aggressive, package together some of these contracts and these players, some of the extra depth, and go out and target another star player. Because if you do that, you could talk yourself into having a big three of Jimmy, Bam, and whoever this other star might be.
2: I'm a little hesitant to make trade. If I if I'm Miami, I'm patient. Like as good as they've been this season, and you know there is definitely a call for or, or an understanding for why they would want to go for it this year. You know, Jimmy's not getting any younger. He's under contract, but he's not getting any younger. Um, they're th- the East, is it's not necessarily wide open, but they have as good a shot as anyone to, uh, to match up, I think, pretty well with, with the Milwaukees and the Sixers and the Celtics and whoever else is at the top of the East by the end of the season. But when I look at Miami, I'm kind of like, you know, I think free agency. Honestly, this is—it's tough. If you're a Miami Heat fan, you don't want to hear this, but I think they're a free agency destination, and I think that they should be super patient and wait until the summer of 2021 when all these different stars are available. You know, uh, that's basically their last. They'll have Max Capram with Jimmy. Uh, It's the year. Bef- there's like a, a little bit of space and time where they can, uh, you know, fit another Max player in before they have to pay out of bio you have you know tyler hero you have justice winslow on a, on a really good deal so if they were to make a trade you know i would want uh, it to be on a very short-term contract maybe someone like danilo gallinari makes a lot of sense for them but i don't think someone like gallo puts them over the top and i also don't want to give up uh i don't want to give up justice winslow Uh, in a deal like that either. So if I'm them, I'm just kind of like sitting tight and I'm appreciating what's going on. Uh, You know, they're getting a lot of production out of low cost guys like Hero, like Kendrick Nunn, uh, like Bam. So I'm just kind of rolling with it. It's good vibes. They have low expectations. And then in the summer of 2021, when a lot of these super duper stars become available, I think that's when you pounce.
1: Yeah. The tricky part with that plan, though, is does Jimmy decline by that point, right? I mean, if you get to 2021, um, are you really looking for almost like a Jimmy replacement or are you ready to shift him to a secondary role? Um, I do think that they're tied to his clock a little bit because I mean, he's playing, what would you say, like a top 10, 15 player this year so far? Um, Undoubtedly. So, I mean, you're on his clock, right? And he's going to want to win and he hasn't really had that opportunity. So I'm sure in his mindset, he's thinking like, let's go out there and do whatever we can do. Um, one guy who disagrees with the patient approach, uh, Michael, is open floor globe member Thaddeus. And he emailed us openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail mail at gmail.com, and Thaddeus writes, The Heat are long, crazy athletic, and deep. They're too deep. Honestly, it's only worked thus far because they basically always have two players injured. Um, uh, why don't they try to make a trade to consolidate some of this roster depth into a star? What about if they traded for Kevin Love from the Cleveland Cavaliers for a 2025 top 10 protected first round pick, James Johnson, Kelly Olynyk, and Derek Jones Jr.? I understand the Heat wouldn't necessarily want to trade another draft pick because they've already traded some, uh, but half measures are how you end up with full disappointment. They would get out of uh, James Johnson and Kelly Olynyk's salary for next year, which is almost identical to Love's anyway. Plus, Olenek on the Cavs still provides a a floor spacing big to help their younger guards on offense, and maybe you could flip him for some second rounders down the road. A heat rotation with Bam, Kevin Love, Justice Winslow, Robinson, and Jimmy Butler starting, and having Dragic, Hero, Nunn, and Leonard coming off the bench would be super scary. They'd still have some contracts in there to make another move if they desired as well. So the downside here would be that you're taking on Kevin Love's you know, future money, and it's pretty significant, and he's after 30. He's been pretty checked out this season. He hasn't put up big numbers, and he's just kind of waiting on whatever his next uh, move would be. The upside is, as he mentions, you would have a starting lineup that would maybe be comparable to anybody's in the Eastern Conference, and you would give yourself a chance, a real chance, for Eastern Conference finals and finals. Um, what do you make of Thaddeus's proposal, Michael? Would you pull the trigger? Well, I
2: would not just because of what I said about 2021. I think
1: like I don't think Kevin Love is So, Love's not the right guy. He's not good enough. Not enough high enough ceiling if you're Miami to get you interested. I don't I don't think so. No. Um,
2: as you said, the age what I mean, he's he has a lot of health problems also in his past. He's been okay this year for the most part. But I would worry about that. I mean, he's owed over $60 million over the next three years. That's just, that's tough. Um, I think that given, like, I understand what you're saying about, you know, Jimmy has you on the clock, but, like, I, I, I still think that you, you slow roll it. He is under contract for, you know, this year, next year, the year after that, and then there's the player option. So it does feel... Kind of, you can make it work, and I and I, I I understand that patience is really difficult, particularly in in today's league, where who know who knows what the hell is going to happen in six months, let alone you know a year and a half from now. Um, my other problem with this deal is that like I don't think the Cavs would ever in a million years do it. Um, they're like if if Justice Winslow is not a part of this package, they're hanging up the phone.
1: Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what Kevin Love's trade value looks like because I think you know the contract is big. I could easily see him picking up that player option year, so now you're looking at basically 90 million mm-hmm. over three future years, um, just based on where his age is at this point. And to me, the, the tricky thing is if Love could really play center and make it work defensively uh, in playoff situations, then I, if I trusted that, I would be more inclined to, to trade for him. But I feel the same way you know, like if I'm the Portland Trailblazers, some of these other teams that have been linked to Kevin Love, like he presents some lineup issues, right? Like for a long time, he was very helpful as that stretch four player who could also give you some rebounding and some passing from the high post. He creates spacing. But, uh, you know, to me, if he's your four, you know, he's not the quickest guy anymore. You know, he never was. So that's, that could be a tough matchup on certain nights. He's not really pounding the glass like he used to earlier in his career. So he's not punishing smaller fours uh, necessarily like he once was. And maybe some of this comes back with a chain of change of scenery, because now he has you know, more investment, better teammates to play with. Uh, but I almost view him like as he's aging as like he's a more natural fit as a five where now he's a stretch five. So he gives you more value with the shooting there. Um, but he never has really played that role defensively that well, and sustained it. And so you know, I kind of come back to like, well, if you have Bam in place, how good is that pairing? You know, Bam and Love, really? Does Love kind of hold it back a little bit? Um, and Would you rather just be more athletic and more versatile uh, in that four spot as opposed to trying to roll with Kevin Love? So I don't know. I guess I say no to this trade mostly because of Kevin Love as the contract, but then secondarily because of Kevin Love, the player.
2: Yeah, oh, that's really fair. I will just say that I I think that Kevin Love as a defender, I mean, if you look at how those Cavs teams performed defensively with him on the floor, uh, you know, up until they had to play Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and like the most impossible offense ever, uh, they were pretty good uh, with Love on the court. So I think his defense is, is unfairly criticized because of what everyone saw on the biggest stage. Um, but to your point, I mean, he's getting older, he's getting slower. Uh, and there's only, he's, he's, it's not like he's super flexible. It's not like he's a rim protector who you can just kind of have drop in drop coverage against pick and rolls. Um, so I think, it, you know, it ultimately hurts you a little bit. And what Kelly O'Linick you have to just ask yourself if it's, if the cost really justifies, the cost difference in the contract between Kelly O'Linick and Kevin Love justifies uh, making a move like that, because what Kelly gives you is basically the same thing offensively, for the most part, for the role that they want uh, on that team. So I I just think there's a lot of problems here. And if I was Miami, I'm, I I don't think I'd, I would do it if I was either team, to be honest.
1: <laughs> I love it. Hey, uh, I yeah, it's not necessarily so much that he couldn't he wasn't a good defender in his prime, right? I just think he's definitely post-prime when it comes to Kevin Love on that end. And I also think like, so the teams that they would have to face in this year's playoffs or next year's playoffs in the East, would really, he would struggle. Like if Giannis is barreling down at him and they're in a you know, quote-unquote small ball lineup with Kevin Love at the five, I do not feel good about that. You know, that sounds to me like a poster party for Giannis. And then if you're trying to match up with Joel Embiid, with Kevin Love, I'm not loving that one either. Um, How do you feel on those two? First of all,
2: what is a poster party? Is that just, is everyone hanging out? They got the scotch tape, they're unrolling the posters. There's there's an open giant wall. We're putting up the posters. Is that what a poster party is?
1: Basically all the Yannising board (laughs) assembles and we get those photography bib vests and we sit underneath, you know, along the baseline underneath the hoop All of us with our iPhones in slow-mo mode, just waiting to capture frame by frame, Giannis dunking on Kevin Love's head, (laughs) possession after possession after possession. Once that's done, we retreat to the photo room, we compare who got the best angle, we blow up the posters, we hand them out. To me, that's a poster party.
2: Okay, I just wanted to to clarify. No, I, I agree with your greater point here that you go up against a team like the Bucks, and they go small with Giannis at the five and they're spacing you out. And I don't really know what Kevin Love does on those possessions defensively. So I think we're on the
1: same page here. All right. We um, have floated this idea that Bam is a first-time All-Star candidate. I mentioned uh, DeMontis Sabonis earlier as a potential candidate from the Indiana Pacers. He's got good numbers, great efficiency. They've been winning it's kind of crazy. Like his dad is one of the greatest basketball players of all time, never to make an NBA all-star game just because he came over so late. So it'd be kind of cool, actually, if Sabonis, uh, you know, got in there. Um, I think he might have to compete with like a guy like Brogdon, like one of his teammates, you know, to be the Pacers representative, but it could just be an easier path for him. When you're looking around here, you know, in this early going, of course, Luka, of course, Pascal are going to make it as first-time all-stars this year. But if you go back over the last 20 years, only an average of six guys are first-time All-Stars each year. So it's a pretty exclusive club to crack. And obviously, the popularity contest aspect of voting uh, makes it more difficult. Uh, But uh, I guess, who do you think are the most likely candidates to be able to get in this year? And do you agree with my premise that because we have injuries to Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Victor Oladipo... There could actually be more new faces than we usually see at the 2020 All-Star game. Right. I I'm excited. This
2: could be fun. I do have a couple names here. Also Kyrie Irving has been hurt and I don't know if uh I don't know if he'll make it. I know he's super popular. Well, yeah. Yeah. You know how I it's going to work, right? Sp-
1: Spencer didn't Spencer Dinwiddie's going to earn the spot and then Kyrie's going to yeah. take it and it's going to be a just a perfect representation of the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> um well, I guess do you want to just start with Spencer's on my list here.
2: Um, you know, I'm in Brooklyn and have seen him play a ton in person. He's been just super impressive, uh, uh, especially in crunch time of tight games. Like he's 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 like a legit lead ball handler on a good offense. Uh, he runs pick and roll. He really knows how to draw fouls. He finishes at the rim like he's the center of every opposing scouting report and he's still getting it done. So I think he's been a monster. Um you know, if he could actually hit threes, which low key he has not really been able to do as an NBA player, I like I think he would be a shoe-in for the All-Star team. So that's like my first guy. Do you what what are your thoughts about about Spencer off the bat?
1: I think he's in the mix. It's going to be tough for those east guard spots though. You know, I think that that's always, you know, you've got a lot of returning guys. I do think Kyrie well if he comes back and with the big scoring number and the fan vote and his popularity quote unquote among you know just your know, name recognition among fellow players i think that he's gonna just take spencer's spot and spencer will be an afterthought and i feel bad for him um but there's some other interesting guards like in that mix i mentioned brogdon who's never made it but van Vleet doesn't he deserve a look too mm-hmm. um so already we're looking at kind of like a new wave of east guards that could crash the party um but I think, you know, among those backcourt players, that's probably how you're going to classify him. What about Jalen Brown? I mean, shouldn't he be viewed as kind of a top candidate there, too? Oh, I mean, he's basically an MVP candidate. No,
2: I mean, I thought we were saving it for that part of the conversation. <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Woo!
2: No, uh, no Jalen's been, Jalen's taken the leap. I mean, I think it was really funny when he signed that contract extension and there was a debate about whether or not the Celtics overpaid and now... I mean, it's, it's like, objectively a bargain for them. Well, it's a lot of money, so I don't want to say it's a bargain, but they they don't have to pay the max, so that's wonderful. Um, I think Jalen and Jason Tatum are both kind of... They'll potentially need to battle it out, I think. I think one of them will get in. I'm not guaranteeing that two will, because I think Kemba Kemba's a lock, and I don't know if the Celtics are deserving of three All-Stars. Uh,
1: so one of those two is going to make it... Um, I, I kind of think both are getting in, man. I got to say as much as it pains really? me, you know, I, I'm not drinking the green beer, but <laughs> if they're still in this position, like, you know, top three seed, uh, as we get closer, when you look at Tatum, I mean, I, I just feel like kind of like the league intelligentsia has kind of been waiting to crown him as like this future wing, you know, uh, the wing of the future, there are going to be some front court spots, so you can slot him into one of those like reserve front court spots. Um, the Celtics are kind of this prestige, you know, uh, you know, big market, uh, often discussed franchise. And so if it comes down to like him versus a player like a Tobias Harris, um, you know, or, or someone else, I feel like he would maybe get the benefit of the doubt. And also like, you know, from the coach's standpoint, I think both Brown and uh, Tatum, it's like, there's no red flags. There's no knocks there. You know what I mean? Like they play the right way, quote unquote, they play hard, um, so you know they're they're good citizens yeah. off the court. I think all those things are effective tiebreakers a lot of times. So you, you you're not really on the Davis Bertans bandwagon. You don't think he's going to take one of their well, spots? Well, I was already penciling him to start. <laughs> I think he's going to start. You know, I think a lot of these guys are going to be reserve candidates. Uh, no, Davis is crazy, man. Like that's a whole side story. Did you really have him as one of your All Star
2: candidates? I I wrote him down like as a joke candidate, and then I was like doing a little. I got lost in a rabbit hole in his basketball reference page and like, it's absurd. I mean, he's he's taking like eight catch and shoot threes a game and making like forty seven percent of them. It's like who is what is even happening? The Spurs no. just must
1: be like the other night
2: banging their ha- yeah.
1: The other night he was playing Papa Shot, man. He was pulled up from uh, forty five feet, like one step inside the the, the, the half court line. But you were saying like this is uh, payback or this is a uh, retribution for the Spurs uh, moving on from him.
2: Yeah, I, I I think the Spurs are probably regretting that one, and I don't really know what happened there with the whole Marcus Morris snafu that probably uh, screwed them over a little bit. But yeah, they definitely wish they had Davis Bertans, who is like second in offensive real plus minus right now, just like a complete stud. Um, the other, uh, I have another guard for you, and I've already brought him up uh a couple weeks ago in an episode when we were talking about most improved player but like why can't Devonte graham be an all-star this season i, I, I mean wow he, you're he, getting really aggressive you're you're heat checking here on me right now no i mean like he- i don't know about you but heading into the season i thought that the charlotte hornets would be the worst team in the nba and because of Devonte graham almost single-handedly like i'll watch a charlotte hornets game and they're not Terrible. Like they might make the playoffs because of this dude. He's averaging twenty and seven. He's leading the league in minutes. Like who? What is even happening? Um, the Hornets die when he's off the court. Uh, he's one of the better three point shooters in the league so far. I I just I don't know. I mean, if you know, if we play the game where we go on preseason expectations, we go on. You know, this team's winning. They need a representative. I, I Like Devante is
1: he's deserving. I hear you. He deserves to be in this conversation. I also think that he's like a, a perfect candidate to be snubbed, right? Like I, oh, yeah, I like the sure. basketball, the basketball dorks are on him like you no offense, but I think you qualify as a basketball <laughs> dork. Thank um, you. I, I just have a hard time believing that like the coaches are going to be like, all right, we're going to put him in over, you know, a bigger name or a more established player. Because um, I do think there's like usually a, a year delay on this stuff, right? Like if he continues to play like this for 18 months, I could see him getting in next year. But I think the coaches are wary of like putting guys in based off of a you know a hot four month stretch. So I don't know. But I, I love that you're basically his fan club now. Um, that's you're you're in early. Uh, I'm, all no in. Doubt. I'm all hey, in. I'm all in. Hey, what about um, like here's a good comparison. Like, don't you think Trey would get in before him? I was literally about to ask you if I had to, if I had in one hand Trey
2: Young and in the other hand Devontae Graham, uh, you know, which one would you pick? And that's not an insult because they're small people. I can't actually hold them in my hands. But for the purpose of this exercise, pretend I can. Like who, who do you think is more deserving? Because Trey Young's situation is like I'm now at, at the point where I just want to watch whatever team is playing the Atlanta Hawks because I feel like history will be made. Like, that's how bad that team is right now, particularly on defense, particularly because of Trey Young's defense. Uh, so, I mean, I, I said a lot of really nice things on him about him in our last episode, and I stand by them. I think offensively, he's been terrific, absolute flamethrower. Um, but that team's just really, really bad. And if you look at Devontae Graham, who, you know, similar supporting cast, probably a little better, but you know, the Hornets are not a complete train wreck at all times. And, uh, you know, when he's on the floor, their offense is actually pretty decent. So, uh, who would you rather, who do you think is more deserving? I should say between Trey and Devonte, given those situations.
1: I would still say Trey, just because I'm willing to excuse basically everything around him as not his fault. And because I think that he ultimately commands more attention if you gave them equal support and cast, he would get more wins out of it. But I wouldn't guarantee it. And I think it's uh an interesting conversation. But this goes back to my point. Like I definitely think the coaches would reward Trey because he had you know some progress from last season. He's a bigger name, you know, he's kind of flashier, maybe more marketable uh than a guy like Graham. And so like if I had to predict which one's gonna make it, I would definitely think that Trey would make it over Graham. Okay, I'm, I have
2: uh, I have a guy in the Western Conference now, which is obviously it's it's Bring really it. difficult to break in on that side. Um, what about Devin Booker? Like,
1: is, is this the year he finally makes an All Star team? He's on my list too, because in part because some of those spots like Clay Thompson and uh, Kevin Durant are open, right? Steph Curry, there's spots open where he would uh, slot in. To me, and I know. <clears throat> he hasn't had his best year necessarily, and Utah has been a little bit up and down. I still think the most deserving first-time All-Star in the West is Rudy Gobert. Don't do it. Is Ru- oh, you were you thought I was going to say Mitchell? I, you surprised me. I was going to say Mitchell, huh? Yeah. See, that's ha- that, that's yeah. why I feel bad for Rudy, man. He's in this perfect storm where he plays center. He's not a big-time scorer. He's not a shooter. Um he doesn't really get credit for what he's doing. Everyone's going to laugh if he cries again because he doesn't make the team. But if you're looking at overall impact, if you're looking at best players at his position, it's tricky because he's going to be behind Davis. He's going to be behind Towns. Uh, he's going to be behind potentially Jokic. But if you're saying who really deserves to be an all-star, you know, one of the you know, 12 most important players in the Western Conference, uh, to me, it's Rudy Gobert. And then you can get into this discussion of, okay, like Booker versus Mitchell. And I think because Gobert to me is still Utah's most important player, I think Mitchell would have to be snubbed and you probably have to give the the benefit of the doubt to Booker, making his teammates better, shooting 50, 40, 90s, you know, more efficient um, and kind of the number one guy there in Phoenix where maybe Mitchell isn't like that clear cut number one guy. Um, so I guess I would, on the pecking order, I would have Booker above uh, Donovan Mitchell, I would have Booker above Jamal Murray. I would have Booker above a CJ McCollum, uh, just based on like Portland's record, you know, Murray being kind of the number two guy in Denver uh, and Mitchell maybe being the number two guy in Utah. So that's how I would break it down. But I guess if I was voting now, I would say both Gobert and Booker have really good shots of getting in. That's so
2: funny that I did not even. Think about Rudy Gobert for this exercise. Like I'm, I think I'm just that far out on the jazz right now, and every time.
1: Well, and he's been snubbed so many times. It's like you yeah. you would just assume that he would have made one, but he's never made one. And a lot of these first timers who we're talking about, they're guys who are 22, 23 years old, and that's not Gobert. No, that's exactly right. He, like he didn't even come up. He wasn't even on my radar. And that's
2: I. I, I mean, no disrespect to Rudy Gobert, who I think is really. Uh, You know, he impacts games on the defensive end as much as anyone. He's in position, I think, to win yet another Defensive Player of the Year award. But this, like, it it, it wouldn't feel right if this was the year he made it just because of how, you know, maybe Utah will right the ship. But, you know, their schedule has been pretty tough. But I just, they just don't look good at all when I watch them. I really don't even enjoy, I don't enjoy watching them play, which I, I thought I would coming into this season. And I, I'm not like blaming Rudy for that. if I, if I'm blaming anyone, it's probably Donovan who that's potentially my own fault because my expectations for him were so high coming in. And I just I, I think he looks lost on offensive possessions and his shot selection has been atrocious. But uh, yeah, Rudy, Rudy's an interesting one. I, I would I would
1: I don't know. Well, so right now, there's only six teams in the West that are over 500. I think the Jazz are better than their record, and they're 14 and 11. So I'm anticipating by the time people have to vote in February, they're going to look a little bit better than they do right now. They might still be in that sixth spot, but they will be above the next tier of teams. So that gets in this conversation of like, do the Jazz need to have a representative kind of based on their team success? And then I could easily see the coaches saying, well, look, Donovan Mitchell is more marketable. He has a higher scoring average. Uh, He's got the sneaker deal. People love him. He's got the cute nickname and everything else. And saying, all right, well, we're going to put Donovan Mitchell in over Rudy. My question to you is, so if it happens that Donovan Mitchell makes it and Rudy Gobert doesn't, obviously in public, there will be no tears from Rudy Gobert. There will be a brave face congratulating his teammate. In private, would you cry if that happened?
2: Oh, I didn't know you were going to go with the, the cry angle. Um,
1: I th- <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying like deep down, years of snubbing that he took personally and he had to talk to his mother on the phone about it. And he was very upset last year. If he gets snubbed again, but Donovan makes it, is he happy or is he upset? No, I, I, I was thinking more like,
2: could it ruffle some feathers behind the scenes? Like, oh, oh a schism. Yeah. Um, and with Rudy's free agency coming up, you know, there's a situation where I th- believe he's Supermax eligible. And so if they do not offer the Supermax and they offer him just like a straight five-year max or uh, or a four-year max or something, if he's like, all right, screw this, I'm out, despite, you know, the, the, the organization-wide commitment that you've had to developing me into what I am, um, I could see that happening uh, if Donovan kind of uh, uh, leak frogs him as a priority with the organization. I, I don't know. That's just like me being an idiot speculating. But uh, to answer your initial question, I do think he would cry in private.
1: Oh, oh, well, let's hope that doesn't happen. Let's hope he makes it.
0: After the trip, I drove my van back with all my equipment. I could hear a little bit of whimpering and crying. When Eldon Kidd, a father of five running rafting tours through Mexico, found two Guatemalan girls stowed away in the back of his tour van one night, it changed his life forever. They pleaded with me, can you bring us to the border? I agreed. And I thought, can I do this again somehow?
2: From the team behind American Skyjacker comes
0: an epic new crime series, American Coyote being a coyote is a dangerous and illegal business you have to be prepared for the worst the unbelievable tale of a legendary coyote named eldon kid american coyote listen on apple podcasts or wherever you get your shows
1: all right we got uh, booker in this conversation who else did you have maybe from western conference teams who you think could sneak in yeah,
2: I had I had Donovan. Um, I focused mainly, uh, on the East. To be honest with you, I mean the the. the well, it's easier. Yeah, you know, it's Triple A. There's less talent out there. You know, <laughs> I mean, someone like, and I don't think he'll make it, but someone like Shea Gil- Gilgis Alexander, who's having Loki a pretty good year on a team that I think has surprised some people. Um, maybe he gets uh, some su- make. Maybe he gets his name. At, in the conversation a little bit. He's, his numbers are pretty good. He's hitting threes. He's a really solid defender. He can let Billy Donovan play those three-guard lineups with him, CP, and Dennis Schroeder that have been tearing the league apart. So maybe him, maybe even CP, who...
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I think the coaches are going to look at OKC and give uh, Chris Paul the career validation selection, um, You know, put him back in there as long as he stays healthy. And so I think that would box out Shea. What about um, on the wings? I know you had mentioned last week. You think you know Brandon Ingram can't kind of get in um, because of, you know the Pelicans kind of poor record and everything. But what about the original Brandon Ingram? What about Andrew Wiggins? Andrew Wiggins, wow. Um, I mean, he's competing with Carl Towns there. You know, of course. So, like, you know, is Minnesota going to be good enough to have two? No, like they're in no. A, a losing streak right now. The answer is no. Um, they will not. <laughs> they, they, I don't think they will
2: be good enough to get to. Wiggins is a wonderful story. Uh, I think this is kind of, it, it reminds me of what you said about Devonte, where it's like uh, people are just a year too late about these kinds of things. And so if he's able to to prove that this is the new him for the rest of this season and then the first half of next season, then we can talk. And, and, and Minnesota's uh, winning basketball games. But, I mean, right now they're not. In the, I don't think they would make the playoffs if the season ended today, despite their hot start, uh, despite how incredible Carl Anthony Towns looks. Uh, so I would probably say no
1: to Andrew Wiggins. Uh, I think he's going to be on the outside looking in, but it's remarkable that I even said his name in a positive manner. So, you know, that's that, that qualifies as progress. Any other final candidates you want to throw out there? Um...
2: You know who's having a really good year? I could wait all day in anticipation. <laughs> <laughs> Who? Will Barton? Wow! In Denver. Yeah. I, don't... I, I. I. This. This goes back to the Portland days with you. I, this really hits home. I hope. Um. Will, Will. Barton has been. Uh. You know. He stepped it up on the defensive end. I, I'm doing a story right now about. Uh. Denver's defense and continuity and all that. And and. Will Barton's individual improvement on that side of the ball has been kind of remarkable. You know, last year he was he had the worst defensive rating on the team. They were terrible when he was on the floor. This year they're never better than when he's on the floor. Um, I don't know. I like. I, I, I. You know. I. I think that with Jamal Murray not really taking the leap forward offensively with Jokic kind of uh, loafing in between all NBA brilliance and someone who's just disengaged and doesn't want to be in the NBA. Uh, I feel like Will Barton could sneak in to maybe a conversation. He'll he'll never make it, but but, uh, I just want to throw his name out there.
1: No, I love it. You know what we should do Like Bogdanovich has been in the Rising Stars game, even though he's like 36 years old, the guy from the Kings, you know, like he's just been in this Rising (laughs) Stars game, I swear, for like four straight years. Let's just grandfather Will Barton into the Rising Stars game and like have him on the opposite team as Bogdanovich and just let them go back and forth. Uh, I think that's probably the way we can settle this because Barton's not going to make the all-star team, but he has been a good enough story that we need to honor him in some manner in Chicago. Yeah,
2: I mean, he's, he's shooting forty percent from three. I just, I let's put him in there in some form or fashion. I'm sure he would love to make the trip to wintry Chicago and compete in the skills competition as opposed to going on vacation. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it would be a tremendous honor for him.
1: Well, look, Michael, we ran long on these topics. Thanks so much for all the information uh, on BAM at bio and for the off the wall and outside the box selections on All Stars. You brought a lot of knowledge to the table this week. I appreciate it. We got so many emails that we didn't get to, so we're going to roll those over to next week. The Open Floor Globe, keep them coming. Mail at gmail.com. OpenFloorMail at gmail.com. Just as a little teaser, we heard from a lot of people when it came to the debate on team fans versus player fans. We got some great insight um, from a, a former Navy officer, uh, you know other people overseas uh, who are stridently, anti-fan bigamy and they don't want their friends, uh, you know, taking on multiple teams as their favorites. So we're going to dig into all that stuff uh, on next week's episode. And I can't wait guys, check us out on Apple podcast by searching for open floor. That's two words. When you find the page, scroll down, it will say rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. I'm on Instagram at Ben.golver, on Twitter at ben.goliver. Check out my page there to sign up for my Washington Post weekly newsletter. Michael is on both Twitter and Instagram at Michael V, as in Victor, Pina. Hey, Michael, until next week, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben.